Hello, this is Super Informed Radio, the official Unisuper podcast. I'm Lyndon, and this is our monthly investment market podcast, which means that David Colosimo, economist and investment manager from our investment team, is with us to recap last month and look ahead to April. David, welcome back. Thanks, Lyndon. Great to be back. Uh, David, we have seen, it has to be said, quite a bit of volatility in markets over the last few weeks. Yeah, Lyndon, it's been an incredible month. So we've had four bank failures in the US and Europe. Um, That led to huge volatility in bond markets. But US shares were actually up 3.5% in the month despite that. I was going to say, what is with all the bank failures? They seem to be happening so quickly. How did it all go so wrong? Well, it all started with a small, relatively unknown bank called Silvergate Capital uh, announcing its liquidation. Now, this bank was very heavily into crypto, and so I don't think anyone was shocked or that concerned at this announcement. So it wasn't until the deposit run at Silicon Valley Bank, or SVB, erupted that it became apparent that something bigger was happening. So historically, bank problems occur because banks take losses from making bad loans. The unusual thing in this case was that SVB got into trouble because of its investments in US government bonds. And the US government is generally seen as the safest borrower in the world. So if that's the case, how does a bank get into distress because of its exposure to the US government? Well, that wasn't the only thing. Uh, As is often the case, it was actually a combination of a few different things at the same time. Let me go back a few years to set the scene. Now, it's easy to say that SVB's failure was caused by a run on deposits, but their problems go back to initially having too many deposits. Uh, They're the bank for the tech sector and venture capital startups, and they had very strong deposit inflows from money that the tech companies raised in those years of very easy financial conditions. So their deposits rose from less than 50 billion to nearly 200 billion in just three years, so nearly a fourfold increase. Uh, A large portion of those deposits were invested in securities that were considered very safe, such as US government bonds. Now, while the bonds are safe, they still do have price volatility. With rising interest rates, bond yields rose very quickly in 2022, and this meant the value of those bonds fell. And that's because there is an inverse relationship between bond prices and bond yields, yeah? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So that's not a problem if you can just hold on to the bonds, you wait for them to mature, and you get your money back. But if you sell them, then you do realise that as a loss. So when conditions in the tech sector soured last year, startups stopped raising new money and started to draw down on their deposits. These gradual outflows got to a point that SVB decided they had to sell some of their bonds and take the loss to meet the deposit outflows. Now, since bank balance sheets have very high leverage, big losses can send a bank under. So if you're a depositor in the US with less than $250,000 in your balance, it's insured by the government. But the bulk of their clients were large tech companies and their deposits were too big to be insured. Now, word spread very quickly between them about SVB's problems and then many clients pulled their deposits out all at once. So it's a classic deposit run, but instead of lines of people queuing out the door to withdraw their cash one at a time, it had a very modern twist. In a world of social media, bad news travels in an instant, and in a digital age, you can withdraw your money at the press of a button. SVB lost a quarter of its deposits in a single day. So US regulators had to step in, 
They took control of the bank. They guaranteed all of the uninsured depositors to halt the bank run. Uh, and then to stop the problem spreading to other banks, they also set up a facility so that they could borrow from the Federal Reserve so they didn't have to sell their own government bonds at a loss if they had their own deposit outflows. Now, regulators have done a lot to make banks safer since the global financial crisis, but they are still some of the most highly levered companies in the world, and they only survive while they have depositor and investor confidence. Once that disappears, the bank is gone. And David, we saw this spread to Europe as well. What happened with Credit Suisse? Well, Credit Suisse has made some bad management decisions over recent years, and so it's not as strong as it could have been. But it probably would have survived if not for the bank failures in the US. Uh, Like SVB, it did have a high share of uninsured deposits. Now, even though the Swiss Central Bank offered a cheap line of credit, uh, there was a significant shareholder who publicly stated that they wouldn't invest more capital, and depositors also lost confidence very quickly. The thing about Credit Suisse is that it's designated as a globally systemically important bank, a GSIB. Now, this means regulators think that it's so intertwined with the entire global financial system that its failure would be too big a risk. So Credit Suisse hadn't actually failed, but regulators were worried that if it did, it could bring the whole system down. So they stepped in and they pushed for a takeover by another Swiss bank, UBS. So how does this change the outlook for the entire economy, David, or does it? Yeah, well, these things can change quite quickly, but I think at this point in time, we are starting to see a picture that conditions in the financial system are starting to stabilise and that maybe regulators have done enough to prop up confidence. Now, this doesn't mean that we won't see economic impacts, though. Um, All US banks are actually facing very similar problems to SVB. They're still facing deposit outflows. And in a world of rising interest rates, depositors are actually realising that they can make better returns somewhere else. So we will probably see tighter credit conditions in the US. And what I mean by that is, at the margin, it's going to be a bit harder to get a loan, uh, especially in commercial real estate and small business. And so this will feed back to the real economy. Now, interestingly, despite all of these banking issues, Uh, the Fed actually still went ahead and raised rates by a quarter of a percent to try and control inflation. Though I probably would say that before the bank failures, the market had actually been expecting a half a percentage point hike. So let's talk through some of the market moves. And, you know, you were saying saying before we sat down even that there's been some surprising divergences. Yeah. um, Bond markets seem to be suggesting that these problems in the financial system are going to be a big deal for the economy. Uh, Interest rates have plunged. The day after SVB collapsed, the US two-year bond yield had its biggest single daily fall in 40 years. Now, just prior to SVB blowing up, uh, the US economy was actually looking quite resilient in the face of all these higher interest rates, uh, and inflation was still quite sticky. So the markets expected that the Fed would need to deliver another four rate hikes this year. Now, they suggest the Fed will be cutting rates soon and probably more than twice by the end of the year. So bond markets are saying this is a really big change for the economy and is probably consistent with a recession. And that's bond markets. What about share markets though, David? Well, share markets are a bit more nuanced. Um, Bank share prices, they're certainly saying this is a big deal. Um, Banks will have to pay higher rates on deposits uh, and this is going to hurt their profits. Now, as a group, 
US bank shares fell by 19% during March. Uh, but there's a lot of variation in that number. Um, the bigger banks were relatively unscathed, and I say relatively because banks like JP Morgan and Citibank were down only 8 or 9%. Um, but once you get past those biggest four banks into the regional banks, many are down 20 to 40%, or in the case of First Republic, down 88% in the month. So huge falls. And what about the rest of the market, David? Well, we initially saw some weakness in the energy and materials sectors, uh, and you would expect that if you're looking for demand to weaken. Uh, or I would note, though, that this is probably going to reverse in April with OPEC announcing production cuts over the weekend to boost oil prices. But outside of those sectors, uh, many of parts of the market just shook this off. Um, all the big mega cap tech names like Microsoft and Apple they all saw positive returns of more than 10% in March. You look at consumer staples like Walmart, uh, healthcare stocks, including Eli Lilly, uh, and utility companies like Nextera, they were also quite solid. A lot of these shares tend to benefit from lower interest rates. And I suppose that was seen as more important to their share prices than the risk of a banking crisis. Uh, and all of these gains easily outweighed the weakness that we saw in banks. And so overall, the US equity market was actually up 3.5% in March. So overall, share markets actually seem to be suggesting that recession risks are quite low. So that seems to be the opposite of what bonds are saying. All right. Looking forward now, David, uh, what are the big things we're expecting to see in April? Well, in general terms, the big thing is that we'll be continuing to monitor the situation in global banking. Will conditions continue to stabilise for the banks themselves? Um, and importantly, how much of an impact is this all having on the broader economy? And what about the Fed and the RBA? Well, the Fed don't meet again until early May, so nothing there, but the RBA have their next meeting on April 4th. Now, unlike in the US, here in Australia, the Australian economy is now showing signs of slowing, um, especially the retail sector, and inflation also does look like it's peaked. So after delivering three and a half percentage points of rate hikes in just 12 months, uh, and with the lagged impacts of those hikes still coming, it does look like the RBA will probably actually pause this month. Um, but if they do pause, they're probably still going to signal that there are likely to be more rate hikes later. Now, as an aside, also this month, we have Treasurer Chalmers likely to announce his initial response to the RBA review that's been conducted. So there's probably going to be announcements of changes to things like governance and communication and management structures at the RBA. But that important operational decision, like the flexible 2 to 3% inflation target, that's probably going to be unchanged. And is there anything else worth mentioning, David, before we wrap up? Uh, yes. Also, just to highlight that the new head of the Bank of Japan, Governor Ueda, will conclude his first policy meeting on April 28th. Uh, the Bank of Japan has been holding negative interest rates for quite some time. They have very strict control of bond yields as well. Um, now, this has really been an anchor for bond yields all around the world. So if we start to see any changes or perceived changes here, that could actually have a pretty big impact. Excellent. Well, David, thank you so much for joining us and we'll see you next month. Thanks. Looking forward to it, Lyndon. Well, that wraps up this episode. Thank you for tuning in. A quick reminder that in February, our Chief Investment Officer, John Pierce, released his quarterly investment update video. 
which gave a broad overview of what's been happening in markets. So if you'd like to watch that, head to our website and check it out. Don't miss out on future episodes of this podcast. Subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts or check unisuper.com.au forward slash podcasts at the start of each month. We are Unisuper, the place where bright minds and passionate people strive to think great and create a future worth retiring for. So if you'd like more information about our investments, visit unisuper.com.au. Thank you for listening and we will see you next time. This podcast is of a general nature. It doesn't take into account your personal financial situation, needs or objectives. Before you make decisions about your super, we recommend you seek financial advice. Also, consider the product disclosure statement and target market determination that's relevant to you. They're available on our website. The past performance of any investment options we discuss isn't indicative of their future performance, and it's worth noting that by talking about certain companies, we aren't endorsing them for inclusion in your personal portfolio.